Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. I'm Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. Co-hosting with me today is Erica Edelberg, who is our MBS strategist up in New York City. Erica, thanks for coming on Fick Focus. Thanks for having me, Ira. So, Erica, I'm very excited. You were able to put together an excellent uh, guest for us today. He is the head of Agency MBS at J.P. Morgan. It is Nick Masunas. Nick, thanks for coming on Fick Focus. Thanks for having me, guys. So let's just start generally with the mortgage market itself, right? It's such an important part of the American economy. Um, people I know have mortgages. People obviously own mortgages. They're the second largest part of the Bloomberg Aggregate Index, so uh, they're massive. Um, but there's a lot of nuances that people who um, who trade Treasury securities and uh, and corporate securities might not understand about that market. So talk a little bit about you know how you cover the market and what uh, you know how the market trades versus you know cash versus the TBA products that tend to have a lot more liquidity so if you could talk a little bit about that that might be helpful to level set for us sure so there are three main ways that agency mbs trades first as you mentioned there's the TBA market you can think of that as kind of a futures market for mbs um, you will specify that you want, say, a Fannie Mae 30-year uh, 5.5 coupon uh, to be delivered to you on a single date per month. And you don't care so much about the specifics of what bond you want at that point. Uh, you'll just get delivered what we call the worst to deliver, whatever's the worst bond that somebody can find you to deliver on that point. Um, the nice thing about that market is because it's essentially a derivative it's very clean to transact in, and that's where you can get the most liquidity, the most size. Uh, the second part of the market is the specified pool market, and that is where you want an actual particular uh, QCIP delivered to you, a pool of mortgages that fit your particular criterion. Uh, say, maybe you don't want the average loan size of mortgage borrowers delivered to you. You want much smaller loans than average because they have preferable characteristics. And the third part of the market is the CMO market, uh, the collateralized mortgage obligation market. And what we do with in that market is basically split those specified pools into different pieces because sometimes people want just the front part of a cash flow. They want shorter duration. Uh, you might have a bank buyer interested in that. And then other investors want the back part of the cash flow. They might want longer duration, say, if they are an insurance company. And so dealer desks are able to find the two buyers of those different pieces. And people are willing to pay maybe a little bit of spread to get a cash flow that looks more like what fits into their overall portfolio. Great. So be before I pass things on to Erica to ask the smart questions, um, I'll just ask a silly one. Uh, you know. When you discuss those three different tiers, presumably the liquidity in um, in TBAs is the, the the most relevant. And as you go down, uh, there's less and less liquidity. But even though there's more specificity in the actual product, is is that a a fair ass assessment of of how the market trades? 
Yeah, I think that's spot on. Um, in the TBA market over the past couple of years, just like in the treasury market, we've seen some deterioration in liquidity. I mean, these are still the two most liquid fixed income markets. Um, the bid ask, say, during QE4 was probably around uh, half a tick. Now that's maybe twice as high, according to some of our estimates, but you know it's still very liquid. And then as you get into specified pools, um, you'll maybe have slightly wider bid ask depending on the collateral type. And with CMOs, traditionally people have thought about the market as being something that has a much wider bid ask. But as we saw with the FDIC sales of SVB and signatures portfolios last summer, um, you know, the market was actually able to absorb much more of this paper in short order. Like there was one day they auctioned off seven billion of bonds, um, you know, in one go. So it's a, a fairly liquid, fairly robust market. That's great explanation. And thanks for laying the uh, laying out the general landscape and structure here. Um, getting more into the nitty gritty, you know, maybe focusing more for some MBS investors in here. Um, one of the questions I've gotten um, in the past couple of days is um, why is it that mortgage-backed securities, everybody's been talking about them being on the uh, cheaper side, and yet they have been the worst performing sector so far in 2024 of any of the aggregate bond index. They've underperformed corporates, they've underperformed ABS, MBS, I'm sorry, ABS, CMBS, um, and of course, treasuries. So why do you think that's been so far this year and what do you think it takes to turn that around? Yeah, this is a topic that we've written on a lot over the past year with some of our uh, corporate colleagues. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the thing that has puzzled people um, in the market is that mortgage yields are at close to their all time wides versus treasuries. Um, they offer all-in yields that are actually comparable to IG corporates, uh, which historically has not been the case. And yet, the performance, when you look at it at the ag level, uh, has been pretty underwhelming. And you know, there are some differences when we're talking about the current coupon, the today's production coupon, basically what is getting issued versus how the index as a whole looks. So. The index is largely comprised still of a lot of those very low coupon mortgages that got issued in 2020, 2021, early 2022. And the yields on those bonds are relatively low compared to today's new issuance. Um, and so there is that composition difference. But I think the real driver of the underperformance that you've highlighted uh, to start the year is just that as the economy has been performing better than people have expected and the Fed uh, forecast has kind of gotten pushed out, you've seen a lot of the credit products do better because your risk and exposure to credit um, is perhaps less when the economy's still on a tear. And on the flip side, with MBS, you are not exposed to credit. What you are exposed to is prepayment risk. You're exposed to the borrower either giving you your cash flow back uh, too soon when you don't want it, i.e. if we are to rally, your borrowers are going to prepay. And then if we're to sell off, your borrowers are actually less likely to move, less likely to prepay. And so you continue getting a coupon that is lower than the market rate uh, for a longer period of time. So basically, you're short an option 
to the mortgage borrower. And when implied volatility goes up, the value of that option goes up. And so for an MBS investor, that's not a great world. In addition to that, as the timeline around uh, the first Fed cut and the taper of QT keeps getting pushed out, I think expectations for, say, bank buying and foreign demand also are, you know, maybe getting a little bit weaker in the near term. So all that's contributed to MBS underperforming uh, other credit products. Yeah, that's that's a great segue into the next topic I was going to cover, and that's um, you know explain for our audience why it is it, it banks have traditionally been a stalwart investor in mortgage-backed securities, um, and when the Fed started letting its portfolio run off during quantitative tightening, banks started letting theirs run off as well, which hasn't always been the case, even at other quantitative tightening periods, um, and of course. Uh, what some of my readers also know is that banks did start adding bonds when they thought that uh, quantitative tightening might begin to taper when you know they thought Fed policy was going to ease in the fourth quarter of this year. But since then, uh, bank investment in MBS seems to be a little bit um, more on hold. So what are, what are your views? Why, why did banks stop buying and let their portfolios run off this time? And what does it take for them to come back? You alluded to, but maybe go into that a little bit more detail. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think this has been kind of the central question uh, for the MBS market over the past you know, two, three months. This has been the one I've been getting uh, more inquiries on than anything else. And I think it helps to like go back and think about what are the fundamental underpinnings of why banks buy securities and MBS in particular. And, you know, in normal times, um, banks are generally growing their deposit base. And in particular, they're growing their base of sticky deposits. And what I mean by sticky is you've got checking account deposits where you have to pay very little interest. Like I still have a Chase checking account that's paying me like one basis point of interest. And kind of stupidly, I keep money in it, um, even though I can make five and a half percent in a money market fund. Um, the reason I keep money there, though, is I have some baseline set of transactions uh, every month, you know, mortgage payment, auto bills, et cetera. And so it's not worth it to me to move money in and out of that checking account constantly. Like actually last year, I almost missed a mortgage payment because I was trying to get too cute on this. And so, you know, I think if you are a bank growing those sorts of deposits, you think about those deposits as a uh, liability that kind of has negative duration in a sense, because when rates go up, you don't have to adjust your pricing. And so you can go and buy positive duration assets on the other side of that. That can be, say, loans. CNI loans are great. They're high yielding. If you can't make those, say you're back in 2020, 2021, you will go and look to add securities. And so banks did this in huge size, bought a ton of MBS at that point. And basically they were saying, okay, even if rates do rise in the future, we've kind of locked in some amount of spread uh, over that cheap funding. Obviously, this was kind of a problem for SVB and some of the other institutions because you don't get to mark your deposits to market, right? Like 
they always are marked at par. And so you don't have a true offset uh, to the duration of your asset side. But functionally, you kind of have this offset. And so that's how banks think about those sticky deposits. Right now, you aren't really growing um, those sticky deposits. Instead, the more recent deposit growth that we've seen from banks has been coming from what we call higher beta deposits. These are deposits that kind of compete with money markets. So form of CDs, um, high yield savings accounts, those sorts of things. And the issue with those deposits is you have to kind of think about them as though they are floating rate deposits. And so, you know, the reason for that is even though you have a fixed term on your CD, you've got tons of different customers who are constantly entering and exiting CDs. If rates go up, you have to pay more for them. And so on the flip side, on the asset side, you need to then go and buy floating rate assets. And you can do that in some loan products. However, loan growth has also slowed in aggregate. Like if you look at the H8 data, uh, definitely slowed in the last half of uh, 2023. And so we started to see cash balances pick up in aggregate, and in particular at some banks who got much more active in the fourth quarter in the MBS market. And I think those banks were saying, okay, I can hold cash, which is actually going to pay me some reasonable return if I just park it at the Fed and I pick up IORB. But if I can earn some additional spread on top of that, that'd be great. I just have to figure out how I can get that spread in securities form uh, in floating rate assets. And there are two ways that banks buy MBS and get a floating rate exposure. We talked about CMOs earlier. Um, CMOs are a great way uh, to get floating rate uh, product. And the spreads that have been offered by CMO uh, structures have actually been very good. Um, like the nominal spread offered in the CMO floater market has been quite wide just because the nominal spread on mortgages has been quite wide. Um, and so smaller banks tend to play in that CMO market. The larger banks have been taking advantage of a new regulatory accounting framework for hedging prepayable assets like MBS. So the portfolio layer of hedging, um, portfolio layer method of hedging uh, will basically allow you for the first time to buy MBS and pay fixed on swaps against them and kind of create a synthetic floater. Prior to 2023, this FASB accounting standard was not uh, available to banks. And so they usually had to think about adding MBS as adding spread, but also adding duration. Now they can think about adding MBS, but just adding MBS spread. And so I think a lot of the large banks that we've seen buy in the recent past have been much more spread sensitive than they had been in the past. Like previously, they were like, it's nice to get spread on top of treasuries, but we got to go out and just buy some duration to immunize our liabilities. Um, now, what we saw in the fourth quarter was that when mortgage spreads got really wide, you saw banks come in, buy fixed rate MBS, swap them out, and capture that spread. 
I think to start this year, as spreads have been somewhat tighter, certainly wider than where they were in late December, early January, but not nearly as wide as they got to at the, the wides of the fourth quarter, banks have been somewhat less active. So Nick, let, let me jump in here and just ask a, a really detailed question. Now we're going to get wonky and into my world and the rates world. So, so there's two potential implications that I could see from banks being more uh, sensitive to you know owning a floating rate asset and and being able to do that on, on an accounting basis. That's number, um, and and that's that you know swap spreads might uh, you know incrementally widen a little bit, which has not been something that we've seen significantly because if you buy a mortgage and then you hedge your exposure with either you know some kind of swap shin, so options on on interest rate swaps, or you uh, as you say just pay fixed and swap, then then that should in, at least incrementally mean that swap spreads widen. A little bit, but but importantly, and I think this is something that you know obviously has shifted over uh, since a global financial crisis and and Fannie and Freddie shrinking their uh, retained portfolios so massively and not owning as many mortgages as they did. Fannie and Freddie were big hedgers of their interest rate exposure, and and that has that caused some uh, the, the lack of them doing that after the financial crisis really uh, has affected the, the the rates market pretty significantly. Is there the possibility with this rule change, do you think, that banks can act more like Fannie and Freddie did prior to 2008 um, in terms of um, of their hedging and, and not wanting to and not wanting to have a, any kind of big duration gap uh, in terms of their 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 own portfolios? Yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, I think the buying starts to look more like Fannie and Freddie. One distinction, though, um, is that you can't. Uh, use options um, in this sort of framework. You can basically um, just use swaps. And so you're just hedging out your duration, not your convexity. Fannie and Freddie were more holistically trying to like monetize option adjusted spread, which is kind of your spread minus your duration component minus your convexity component um, in like overly simplistic terms. And uh, then they would lever up that trade like massively. And so that would result in maybe spreads being a little tighter than uh, they would otherwise be, and spreads also being very consistent across the coupon stack um, because they were policing that sort of spread. With the banks, I don't think they'll get to the same scale of hedged assets necessarily um, that the GSEs were operating at. Uh, there, you know, once we get back into a world where, say, the Fed pauses uh, QT and the yield curve re-steepens. I think there are um, reasons to think that the banks might go back to more of their traditional buying behavior, where they'll take on all the duration uh, of the MBS. But I, I think your point is good, um, that the behavior starts to look more like that. Now, just to give you a sense of scale, in the fourth quarter, banks probably only bought, let's say, $45 billion of MBS in gross terms, that was just enough to replace their paydowns. So while they were more active in the fourth quarter than they had been for the year and a half prior when they were letting their paydowns run off, this is not the same as, say, um, kind of the run rate we gotten used to post-GFC where they were buying like 100 to 200 billion net. So like net on top of their paydown uh, replacement. 
Right. So they're not net buyers. I'm going to go to Erica here for uh, one last question and then we'll, um, we'll thank you very much for your time, Nick. But let's, uh, Erica, what other question and topic do you have for Nick? Gosh, I could ask Nick about 20 more questions, but let's just go. I, I know, Nick, you just came back from the Structured Finance Conference in Vegas and uh, just wondered if you uh, had any interesting insights to share with our audience from that, that we, uh, that might be the hot topics right now. Eric, you're suggesting that what happens in Vegas doesn't necessarily stay in Vegas? <laughs> I am totally suggesting that, yes. <laughs> Only mortgage commentary makes it out. Um, there were a bunch of like common, kind of common threads to the conversations I had there, probably met with um, 20 different investors. And I think, you know, one thing that you pointed out, Erica, is that MBS have been kind of the odd man out um, and everything else is tightened, but mortgage spreads, you know, are still sitting there looking relatively attractive. So people are waiting to, you know, get some satisfaction on their trade. Uh, the other topics that kept coming up, one was around uh, prepayments in the higher coupons, especially uh, Ginny May mortgage-backed securities. Uh, the last prepayment print was very fast for uh, VA or veterans loans in particular. So people are still kind of coming um, to terms with what that means for valuations. And then the other thing that was coming up a lot was around the potential for maybe more bank merger activity and sales of their securities portfolios that they bought uh, during QE4, because the market has operated under the assumption for the past two years that unless a bank blows up like SVB, they generally don't seem willing uh, to sell their low coupon MBS, like the Fannie twos and two and a halves that got created at the lows in rates. And so there's some concern amongst investors that, especially as Basel III Endgame kind of gets debated, and there are potentially uh, incentives for banks to scale up so that they can at least have the returns to size instead of just getting penalized for you know, new regulatory burden. Um, if they scale up, if they merge, then maybe that spurs some sort of portfolio reallocations. That's great. Well, that was the head of Agency MBS at JP Morgan, Nick Masunas. Nick, thanks very much for coming on FIC Focus. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks Nick. for having me on. All right. And so, Erica, any uh, any major takeaways that you have from uh, from Nick's commentary? And uh, I, you know, suspect that um, some of this was uh, old hat to you, but to a lot of our listeners, I think um, they'll find a lot of Nick's comments really helpful. Yeah, I mean, as as did I. I will say, uh, very insightful, Nick, and thanks again. Um, you know, I think the major takeaway is that banks do continue to be you know, a major question mark and a major variable in. Uh, potential performance for the mortgage-backed securities market, and in particular, um, you know, the the interesting part that I got out of today's conversation is kind of the change in strategy at the banks and what the implications might be for uh, having a, they're taking a more relative value-oriented approach towards adding assets, um, whereas in the past it's it's mostly been kind of liability and investment need driven. So that, that could kind of change the behavior of mortgage spreads, maybe limit the amount of tightening that they can do in the near term, at least until the Federal Reserve policy becomes a little more 
certain. So that that's my biggest takeaway, I think. That's great. On behalf of Erica Edelberg and Nick Masunis, I am Ira Jersey. If you have any questions or comments or you'd like to suggest any topics or guests that you'd like to have, have us uh, see on the show, please reach out to us on the Bloomberg Terminal. Until next time, be well.